1: That's D R S V O B O D A. Hello, and welcome to Living with Reality. I'm Paula Crossfield, your host and Dr. Svoboda's media manager. On this episode, we have a very special discussion of Ayurveda from the point of view of being a student of Ayurveda. Dr. Svoboda gives his wisdom of the last 40 years what he believes is the most important things to consider if you are studying this Vedic science. And if you'd like to study more on Ayurveda with Dr. Svoboda, you can go to his brand new website, drsvoboda.com, that's D-R-S-V-O-B-O-D-A.com, and you'll see under the Topics tab, there are um, there's Ayurveda, and you can go and see all the different courses. Um, There are blog posts and different information there. So check that out and feel free to join his Foundations of Ayurveda 1 and 2 courses with Dr. Claudia Welsh. These are foundational, as they are called, um, and are considered to be like a semester of Ayurvedic study. So we hope you enjoy this episode.
2: Namaste. Today... I would like to offer some uh, advice to students of Ayurveda. And I would like to begin by commenting that I continue to regard myself as a student of Ayurveda, despite having graduated from an Ayurvedic college and having a diploma, having a license to practice Ayurveda in India, and having more than 40 years go by after this, I still regard myself. As a student, which I believe, as I was taught and has been my personal experience, is the proper attitude to have when working with Ayurveda. I had been accepted into a college of modern medicine when I left the United States to travel in 1973 but i ended up studying ayurveda it instead <clears throat> and it was in many ways serendipitous and otherwise fated that I ended up studying Ayurveda because I knew nothing about it until I heard about it from the Peace Corps physician in Kathmandu in December of 1973. And less than a month later, I was enrolled in the Telak Ayurved Mahavidyalay in Pune. So it's as if Ayurveda had decided that it was time for me to not only become aware of it, but also to begin the process of becoming a vehicle for it. And that's the place I'd like to begin right now. The fact that there is a gigantic, in fact, a a polar difference between the way of modern knowledge and the way of ancient knowledge. the way of modern knowledge is to accumulate various facts and pray that somehow they will cohere together in one's conscious mind so that they can be employed when required. And so this is a process of accumulation. Ayurveda is in many ways the opposite. Yes, you still have to accumulate many things. You have to learn quite a bit. But at the base, the intention is, and I do mean traditionally, this is not necessarily the case among a majority of Ayurvedic physicians today. But traditionally, the idea was that you become emptied of... Many of your personality traits and attitudes, so that you can be possessed by what I personally like to call the Ayurvedya, but what is the natural healing force of the universe that is present in all places at all times and is channeled by different individuals in the context of different socio cultural systems into particular ways to facilitate individuals' learning ways in which they can interact with others to have a healing effect. Which is uh, what I hope that is, is your chief priority when you are a student of any kind of medical system, but in particular of Ayurveda. It is in my opinion fundamental to have a desire to help people out i have known many many doctors who have been well educated and who have who have been very effective technically at the work that they do and many of them are interested in that work not necessarily because they have a strong desire to assist others, but because they have a strong desire for something else, possibly a profession that is lucrative and or will provide them a certain standing in the world. And I think it's important to remember that the variety of Ayurveda that is taught both in India and abroad is a variety that was specifically promulgated for individuals many, many hundreds of years ago who were attempting to do the very same thing. The, it, it, it is made very clear that the, 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 these texts are meant for people who are going to work with the elites of society. One important difference is that while you were working with those elites with the intention of obtaining a good income and also a good status in society, that you remember your obligations to both the environment in which you live and the culture in which you live. So it was always regarded that you should treat your guru for free, you should treat holy saintly people in india sadhus for example monks those who live and, and do uh, meditation and contemplation on their own you should treat them for free those who are helpless should be treated for free uh, treated for free all of your friends even today in india it is commonly the case not always, but still commonly, that many doctors will treat one another for free. That's regarded as a professional courtesy. It is emphasized that if it would be better for you to undergo the effects of snake venom or being branded with hot iron rather than demanding money from poor people as a precondition for treatment. So there, there, is, there is an awareness, even 2,000 years ago when the, this form of Ayurveda that is being taught and practiced today was being developed, that it was essential, it was quite essential to appreciate your responsibility as someone who had elected to become a vehicle for this healing force. So this is where I believe anyone who is interested in studying Ayurveda should begin. You should ask yourself, in fact, if this is what you really want to do, to work with other people to assist them to become less miserable in whatever way you may assist them. And certainly, there's enough misery to go around, and there's many good ways to assist people. Also, it's good, I believe, to remember that no matter how long you study, you're never going to know everything. It is since the days of the earliest texts, Chadak himself says, there is no end to Ayurveda. There is no beginning of it, or perhaps we could say it began with the beginning of the universe, but there is no end to it. And arguments about what is Ayurvedic and what is not Ayurvedic really very much missed the point because any substance in the world any action in the world can be used therapeutically maybe not for many people and maybe in not many very very many contexts but anything can be employed in a therapeutic way and it's good to remember this it is useful to be able to know and to be able to work with certain substances and certain actions and usually these are things that you should have employed yourself with certain exceptions of course but usually these should be things that you have employed yourself that you have worked that you've integrated into your own experience and that then you will have not just theoretical knowledge of, not just practical knowledge of, but personalized physiological somatic knowledge of so that it's in your body, it's part of your muscle memory, and then that facilitates even better the movement of the Ayurvedya through you into whoever it is that you're working with. So it's in my opinion essential to if you're saying that you're working with ayurveda to make it about ayurveda and not about you to make to remind yourself every day that you are a servant of that ayurveda or whatever you would like to call her whatever you would like to call this shakti this energy of healing whatever you would like to call her that you are her servant that you are here you will be here for a limited period of time, and then you will be dead. But she is going to be here as long as life exists. And it is our privilege to be able to serve her. We should always be grateful that we have been able to become aware of this valuable knowledge and, and that we have been put into the right place at the right time in order to be able to act as her vehicle, her vessel. This is a great privilege, and we should always be appreciative of it and grateful for it. So make Ayurveda about Ayurveda and not about you. And it is always good to practice what you preach, So if you're telling people to have a niyama, a daily routine, you need to have a daily routine. It may not be perfect. It may not be exactly what is mentioned in the text, but it should be something that is practiced daily and that is benefiting you, that is assisting you to deal with some of your own limitations, physiological, pranic, mental, whatever they may be, to deal with some of those limitations to assist you to move better into being better aligned for longer periods of time at a time and to come ever closer to be automatically moving in the direction of alignment. You will never go wrong by assist, by in sharing with people what you know physiologically for yourself, what has worked for you and what has not worked for you. You only get into trouble when you start giving people theoretical ideas that you've heard from somewhere else that you are not personally really sure that you have not had personal experience of. And therefore, work with what you know, share what you know, and automatically you will find yourself gaining more experience as the Ayurveda discovers that you are willing to act as a vehicle for her and share what she inspires you to tell. And this means that you should always be listening to your intuition. Wherever there's, as Sushruta said very clearly, wherever there is a conflict between theory and what you see actually in reality, throw theory out the window and deal with what you see actually in reality. So, Theory is all well and good, and emotion is all well and good, but intuition is the most important thing. Work with your intuition. Refine your intuition. It will not always be perfect, but it is going to be a lot more reliable than doing some intellectual thing, especially nowadays when people are all very heady and when Rahu is so strong. Always remember to pace yourself when you're studying, and when you are working with people. Always remember to keep breathing, to keep that connection to the life force, which is what you're working with, which is what is serving you and what you're serving. Always remember to keep calm. And when you're working with people, remember that they have come to you, not because they simply are feeling good and, and, and want to feel better, you occasionally you will find people that want to do that, but usually they have come to you because they are afflicted. And because they're afflicted, this will probably be evident in their manner in some way. And it will probably be evident in their breathing. And sometimes the best thing to do with someone is simply to sit with them and breathe for a few minutes And it's your responsibility to breathe calmly and slowly, to breathe abdominally. And that will assist that other person to entrain with your breathing. And as you do that, as they begin automatically to pace with you, you will find that they will calm down. It will be easier for you to work with them. It will be easier for them to accept and understand what you're saying and to, to let it sink down into that place where it needs to sink into so that that knowledge can be properly employed by them. Also, always remember that no matter how well-intentioned you may be, sometimes what you intend to say is less important than that offhanded comment that may occur to you suddenly as you were with that person present and interacting with them. I can't tell you how many times I've I felt like I had not really been able to communicate with somebody and 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 but there was something that occurred to me that maybe I said at the very end, an offhanded comment, and how many times somebody has contacted me one or two or six months later and said, oh, my God, just that last thing that you said was that perfect thing that caused me to look at the situation in an entirely different way, and now I'm feeling so much better. Thank you so much. And I will think to myself, uh, well, uh, yes, uh, thank you, intuition. Thank you, God. Thank you, all of... Because that was not what I intended to say. That's something that came from somewhere else which again is, the, is, is a good reason always to make sure to keep your own self as minimized as possible while, your work, while you're studying, but especially while you're working with someone so that the Ayurveda can work through you and do what she knows to do best. Always remember that you're being of service. Always keep reminding yourself why you're doing that. And there will be days when you'll definitely need that reminder because there will be people who will be very difficult, very annoying, and will cause you to be asking what it is you have got yourself into. And in order to be able to do that, you have to be taking care of yourself. So by this same token, don't get confused and start thinking to yourself, oh, I am a, uh, I have become a great healer and I'm very important and I must either work all the time and never take any time for myself and only serve other people or I must be pampered by everybody and occasionally I will come in and wave my hands and do some healing and they will be much better. No, please remain normal. But take care of yourself, because if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be a good vessel for the Ayurveda, and then you're not going to be doing what you need to do. So you need to make sure that you have enough sleep, and you need to make sure that you're getting good food and you're eating it in a calm fashion. And you're exercising, and you're meditating. You have to find time for... These are essential things, just essential as breathing or drinking water, These are all essential things. You have to find time for that. You have to pace your own life. You have to remain calm and breathe yourself. And then you will be able to have a really effective influence on whoever it is you're working with. And all of this is all of what I've said so far is, is focusing particularly on working with individuals. It is also something to consider because we live in cultural contexts, it's important to think about the context of what it is that we do when we work with Ayurveda as a cultural construct. So the Ayurveda is present in every, in every atom of every uh, substance, uh, uh, living being everywhere in the world. But over the past many millennia, it has developed into various systems, And these systems are very contextualized according to the cultures in which they have developed. And this brings us to the concept of cultural appropriation, which is a topic that has become very noteworthy and widespread nowadays. And this is a question that many people are asking about many forms of knowledge that have originated in one culture and have and then uh, are being pract- uh, uh, taught and worked with and practiced in in other cultures and there there are many people who feel that who feel a certain proprietary interest in keeping certain knowledge in certain environments only and not letting it stray and and th- this applies to ayurveda as well and this is a very large subject this is this is something that is worthy of paying attention to it is important <clears throat> to be aware that Ayurveda has emerged from South Asia. It is important to appreciate that and to find a way to give back somehow to that South Asian culture in from which this specific knowledge of ways of working with the Ayurveda Ayurvidya, has come. It is equally important to pay attention to the ancient our ancestors, so not only the our personal ancestors, bloodline ancestors, but the ancestors who lived on the land we are on before us. And in this case, the ancestors, all of the all of the the vaidyas, the Ayurvedic physicians from the past who have been our ancestors in Ayurveda, who have, who have caused the knowledge to continue to be transmitted from generation to generation, who have developed that knowledge, who have created transformational change in that knowledge. We need to appreciate all of those ancestors, and we need to find ways to work with them Whatever country you may be in, in in the United States, we have to work with the native ancestors who were here before us and respect them, respect their ways, and, and, and remember that the environment that we are in now is an environment that was tended by them for many, many thousands of years and as a result all of those ancestors require our attention and our appreciation so we do need to appreciate and pay attention to all of those ancestors in south asia who have prov- who have caused all this knowledge to bring to be brought forward to the present day where we can take advantage of it and employ it in positive ways. So number 1, we need to employ it always in positive ways. Number 2, we need to be aware of the fact that we have been granted this knowledge from another culture and we need to appreciate that culture. Now the question is, of course, to what degree does this is this legitimate and to what degree does this become illicit appropriation. And this is where we have entered into a relative gray area. I think that one of the challenges that a lot of students of Ayurveda have is the challenge of not really understanding the degree to which Ayurveda is part of South Asian culture. And I specifically say South Asian because even though I am Uh, I was trained in India and have a degree and a license to practice Ayurveda in India. Ayurveda is still very much part of reality in Nepal, in Sri Lanka, even in Bangladesh and Pakistan to some degree. So it is a cultural phenomenon, not a political phenomenon, though politics is very much involved in it as well, but really at base, it's a cultural phenomenon. And I I think it is the case that a large number, if not the majority, of students of Ayurveda who are not South Asian themselves, or I should say, not who even if they are South Asian have, who who who's even if uh, uh, genetically South Asian, who are not who have not. been part of that culture, it is very difficult for people to understand just how much Ayurveda is part of that culture, even without people knowing that it's Ayurveda. When I was studying in the college in Pune, it was a situation where I was the only non-indian student in the college i was the only non-indian in the neighborhood rarely would i see anyone who was not indian so it was i was thrown into the deep end and had to swim and the advantage of this is i started to learn exactly the context of of what it meant to be living in this culture in pune maharashtra at in the 1970s and one of the things I quickly learned is that everybody thinks in ways that are fundamentally Ayurvedic. Certain foods are hot. Certain foods are cold. Certain foods, therefore, can be eaten at night. Certain foods cannot be eaten at night. There are, the just as an example, on the beginning of spring, the first day of the month of Chaitra it is traditional for everybody to eat a neem leaf. And there are, of course, neem trees everywhere. And people will still often do that, and they will eat the neem leaf, and it's bitter, and that then they will grimace and move on and start drinking tea or whatever. But the point of originally what that meant was it was, it was the beginning of spring, and... As they say in Ayurveda, Nichita Krut, all of the Kappa that accumulates during the winter is going to cause kappa rogas, kappa diseases in spring. And Ritu Sandi Shuvya Dioho Jayante diseases begin at the junctions of the season. So that first day of chaitra that is symbolic of the junction of the beginning of spring and that's a good time not just to eat one neem leaf but to have a purification involving things that are bitter like neem so that you can get the cup out of your system before it causes a disease for you during the spring so in in in, in all of the different aspects of the culture, even today, in many ways. Ayurveda and Jyotisha and Vastu and many others of the Shastras, of the traditional classical sciences, are part of the way that people interact with the world and with one another. And without being in that context and living in it, it is often very difficult to be able to appreciate that and really have to be able to understand how Ayurveda fits into that context. And I think that that, without understanding that, it is going to be much more likely that you will be unable to appreciate the reality of Ayurveda and its culture And that will move you closer to possibly acting in a way that would reflect cultural appropriation. So the more that you can understand how Ayurveda fits into Indian culture, South Asian culture, and the more you can appreciate, again, that you are very... Fortunate to have been able to access this knowledge in a way that did not require you to, to have to. The, the, the more that you were able to access this knowledge, starting over. The more that you're able to appreciate this context and understand just how fortunate you are to be able to access this knowledge in ways that have been organized so that you can understand them well according to your culture, but to understand that by virtue of the way that it has been translated for you, as with any translation, much has been left out The more you're able to do that, the easier it's going to be for you to get the kind of perspective on Ayurveda as a system that will allow you to work with it in a respectful way that will prevent you from behaving in a way that would be culturally inappropriate. And... In conclusion, what I would like to reiterate yet again is that as long as you live and you work with Ayurveda, always remember that you are a vehicle for the Ayurvedya. It is not about you. It is about her. And the more that you make it about her and you bow down to her and you let her work through you, the better it's going to be for you and for anyone that you work with. Namaste.